Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. There's a lot of news coverage this week about Alan Jones, with the radio broadcaster turning off the mic for his 2GB breakfast show for the final time tomorrow morning. Alan Jones, one of the country's most popular radio broadcasters, has just announced his retirement. He told listeners on his top-rating breakfast show he's stepping down on the advice of doctors in light of the pandemic. In one camp, there will be people sad that the champion of Struggle Street is leaving the airways. And in the other, there are a whole range of people who will be happy to see the back of a man who's literally caused riots. Today, we're going to take a peek into the world of breakfast radio and consider whether Alan Jones' retirement is not just the end of an era, but the last of the conservative talkback shock jocks. Breakfast radio is a strange place. In studios across the country, teams assemble from as early as 3am to put together three hours of radio content based on what the news cycle is offering up that day, five days a week. Sleep-deprived producers scramble to lock in guests as they write show notes for the hosts, and the hosts themselves prepare to put their personal lives and opinions out into the world for an audience that can love you one day and hate you the next. In Capital City radio stations, the stakes are high. The contracts the hosts have signed depend on the ratings they deliver their employer, and if those numbers don't reach acceptable heights, that contract can end, even if the date on the dotted line hasn't been reached. The money can be mind-blowing. While in places like Perth, Darwin, Hobart, Brisbane and Adelaide, breakfast show hosts might be taking home paychecks in the hundreds of thousands, in Sydney and Melbourne, it's in the millions. In 2013, Nova's Fitzy and Whipper signed an $11 million deal over four years. Alan Jones is reportedly taking home $4 million a year. And Kyle and Jackie O extended their contracts last year through until 2024 for a whopping $50 million. That's just shy of $40,000 for each of them per show. But while the shows outwardly portray fun and light-hearted banter with talkback allowing the listeners to shine, behind the scenes, it can also be quite a toxic place. Arguably, the thing that makes a great breakfast radio host can also be the thing that can make them a tyrant behind closed doors. They're very healthy egos. The bad behaviour that would be cause for counselling or dismissal in other industries is joked about by those in the business as just another day in breakfast radio. Producers tell stories about being screamed at if newspapers aren't perfectly aligned. John Laws famously required all female staff to wear a skirt. There have been cases of hosts coming to physical blows with other staff members. Management have quietly dealt with drinking and drug habits. Some hosts have a reputation of being so high maintenance, others refuse to work with them. And sometimes the producers of these shows have had about enough, leaking evidence to the world to show just how bad some of this diva behaviour can be. I agree to undergo the... Oh, the dust in this studio. You know, if it was bloody John Laws or someone, the whole joint would be cleaned out. It's ridiculous. That, of course, is Alan Jones, the man of the hour, the former Queensland schoolteacher, speechwriter for a former Prime Minister and winning coach of the Wallabies, who's been in the radio business now for nearly 40 years. 
For 15 of those years, Neve Kenny was his producer. Ooh, challenging, enigmatic, unique. He's an amazing man with an amazing breadth of knowledge, volatile as all hell. He and I got on really well in many ways, and we also clashed. He could certainly be incredibly supportive of his staff, as he was of me on a couple of occasions. When I needed support, he was there. Very loyal to his staff, very loyal to his staff, and also very, you know, unpredictable in other ways. He certainly had a temper, there's no doubt about that, and he'd certainly get riled, and he certainly could fire up, to put it mildly. That would be my synopsis. What is Alan Jones's legacy now, do you think? Do you think the good is outweighed by the headlines, the court cases, the riots? The one thing that gets me about him, no one had the breadth of knowledge that he has, covering everything from politics to football to the arts to, you know, young singers to, you know, he had a a vast breadth of knowledge and an encyclopedic knowledge in some of those areas. Do you think that came naturally to him or was he just... Did he just work hard to get that knowledge? It came naturally, really. It was his natural bent to be pursuing knowledge and studying stuff. And that was sort of his life. And separate from the social life stuff, I mean, that was what he did. Was Alan particular in the way that he worked? We know we hear a lot of breakfast radio shows. They like things done a certain way. They like things to be in their place. Was Alan that kind of man to work with or was he more relaxed? Oh, he wasn't relaxed at all. Oh, no, no, no. Relaxation didn't enter into it. Things were done a certain way and rigidly a certain way. And there were lists of things that were done this way and that way and lists of questions that you were to ask. And, oh, no, no, there was nothing relaxed about the, the way that show was put together. And I wouldn't imagine it's relaxed now either. No, it was very much organised, very Did he ever turn that anger on his staff? I know you said he was very loyal to them and that he was very uh, a good man to work with, but did he ever turn that anger on his staff if they didn't do things the way that he requested? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yeah. He and I clashed um, verbally. I mean, you know, but but, and some of it was not very nice. I won't go into the details of it, but, I mean, we had a massive row over something as stupid as Marbo. You know, my definition of terra nullius versus his definition of terra nullius. You know, those sorts of silly things. We had an argument over Kathy Freeman carrying the Aboriginal flag when she ran. I thought that was good because it showed she was proud of being Aborigine and proud of being Australian. He maintained there was only one flag for Australia, and that's the flag she should have been carrying. So we had sort of words over that. Yeah, silly things. But yes, no, he could turn his anger on people. Yes, no doubt about that. A lot has been said about Alan's personal life, and we're not going to go into too much detail here, but the thing that comes up quite commonly is that he seems to be quite a lonely man. Would you agree with that? Not now, I wouldn't. I think possibly in the past, yes, but he's got the farm down there in the Southern Highlands, which I gather is beautiful. His niece lives on a house on the property with her husband and their three beautiful children, and he's got that whole family circle down there that he's extremely fond of and they're extremely fond of him. No, I wouldn't say he's lonely now. Do you think that's where he might retreat to once he turns the mic off on Friday? Oh, he certainly, he will. He will, but he'll do something else as well. I mean, he said he's going to stay doing TV and stay doing, you know, print stuff. But yeah, he will mostly, I would think, be down there. I've never been there, but by all accounts, it's a beautiful place. 
In his time on the air, Alan Jones has helped thousands of people. So I said to Marlene, in the name of my old man, I'm going to fly Marlene to Sydney, put her up for a couple of nights at a hotel, give her a bit of a break, and in the meantime, we'll see if we can get her a job. But he's also done some terrible things too. Things that have cost his employer millions of dollars in fines and court costs, things like inciting the Cronulla riots. My suggestion is to invite one of the biker gangs to be present in numbers at Cronulla Railway Station when these Lebanese thugs arrive. It'll be worth the price of admission to watch these cowards scurry back onto the train for the return trip to their lairs. And making shocking comments about powerful women like our former Prime Minister Julia Gillard. The woman's off her tree. And quite frankly, they should shove her and Bob Brown in a chaff bag and take them as far out to sea as they can. And New Zealand PM Jacinda Ardern. She's a clown, Jacinda Ardern, a complete clown. I just wonder whether Scott Morrison's going to be fully briefed to shove a sock down the throat. His influence on people in positions of power, from police all the way up to the Prime Minister, is legendary. Many choosing to just agree to do whatever Alan asks to avoid backlash from him and his loyal fan base. And his personal life has long been the subject of rumour and speculation, surrounding himself with attractive young men, but ultimately, he's alone at home. So is Alan Jones the last of his kind? And why is he retiring now when his show is still topping the ratings? Well, it's not the official line, but money could be playing a role, with millions of dollars worth of ad revenue pulled from his show after the comments he made about Jacinda Ardern. Chris Masters is the author of Jonestown, The Power and the Myth of Alan Jones. Chris, what is the official line on Alan Jones' retirement, the one management is telling us? Well, that's all I know about, and certainly they've said that he made the choice to go rather than be pushed, that this was on doctor's advice. And that doesn't surprise me. I mean, there's been a lot of stories about him not being well. And, you know, it is such a taxing job, getting up in the morning for so long. It would have a huge impact on your fortitude. So I think he needed a rest, and I'm not surprised by that. But I suspect things have changed a lot in the last 20 years. I mean, Jones has always been trouble for management, but generally speaking, it's been good trouble. You know, in the old days when he blued with John Laws and they were both on the same radio station, the publicity was good for both of them, you know. So there was a certain amount of theatre to all of that. So all the publicity Jones gets, good and bad, can be good for his program. But I think in the last couple of years, that has changed. And objectively so, you can see through the boycotts of sponsors, etc., that the problem that Jones was for management became something different. So I have said before that he could have stayed on in that his ratings were very high, but unusually for him, his stocks were low. Well, let's talk about Alan Jones the man and the influencer, because in your book, you talk a lot about the influence that he's had over people in positions of power. And some of those people have said it's just been easier to get on with their job if they just agree to do what Alan says. But why are people so terrified of him? What was it about him that made people do as they were told? It says a lot about the power of the media and having the microphone. I think a lot of the time that people who knew they were right and they'd been unfairly treated by Jones just put up with it or found a way to appease him because he could do it again every day, every day, every day, and he could really beat you up. And that led to a situation where I think his power was based more on fear than his success as a broadcaster. I think he played such a bruising game that 
people became frightened of him and with cause. I thought about this a lot and I think the answer probably is that, you know, there was no real upside in opposing him. If you took him on in a forum where his listeners didn't dominate, then there might have been a chance because I would have thought the great majority of the Australian public were on Louise Heron's side, Jacinda Ardern's side, Julia Gillard's side, but not Alan's audience. To his audience, he can do no wrong. So if you have a blue with Jones and you better him on air, as say Malcolm Turnbull did, you know, you might win some points in the broad community, but you don't with Alan Jones' audience. So that was the thing about it. Um, There was no upside in opposing him. What now for Alan Jones? I mean, obviously he has other interests outside of broadcasting, but this has been his main source of income for quite some time. But what happens to Alan Jones now? Does he fade away? And is he the the last of his ilk? I mean, Ben Fordham, who's going to be taking over from him, is a very different character to Alan Jones. Mm. What what happens now? Does it leave a void in the talkback shock jock genre <laughs> or is, is this just the end of an era? Alan is one of a kind. I think there are plenty of pretenders, but I don't think anybody can come close to being Alan. I wouldn't underrate him. You know, he certainly backs himself. And I wouldn't even be surprised if the government finds some sort of senior position for him. He's on lots of boards. I don't know that he's super intelligent. You know, I think he's got a grasp of the executive summary and he can sound intelligent. But he's very industrious. He's a super worker, that's for sure. I think he could have done so much in radio. The good Alan could have done so much, but maybe the problem was he woke up with a headache every day. He was just so angry, and we just saw too much of the bad Alan. While Alan Jones may be the last of the old-school talkback jocks, now that John Laws is in his twilight years, Steve Price is a weekly guest on someone else's show, Ray Hadley's decided breakfast isn't for him, and Bob Francis has moved on to the big radio studio in the sky, maybe the talkback world will be a much less controversial place from now on. But it doesn't mean the shock jock is dead. Not with the likes of Eddie Maguire, Carl Sanderlands and others, whose misguided quips about women, mental health and racism are now just popped between the latest track from Taylor Swift. Alan Jones may be walking away from 2GB tomorrow, but with his former nemesis John Laws still behind the mic well into his 80s over at another station, chances are this won't be the last we hear from the controversial man. I mean, I listen to him. I'm probably one of the few who still listens to him regularly. And you can tell in his voice he doesn't want to go. That's all for The Quickie today. This episode was produced by Melanie Tate with audio production by Ian Camilleri.